A quick note, this is a 10-part chronological docuseries. We recommend starting at Chapter 1. And for the best immersive listening experience, headphones are suggested. Welcome back to Captured, Shot Down in Vietnam, a production of the Richard Nixon Presidential Library. As described in the final episode of our series, in May of 1973, three months after the safe return of hundreds of American POWs from North Vietnamese captivity, President Richard Nixon and First Lady Pat Nixon hosted an extravagant dinner at the White House in honor of the former prisoners' sacrifices and resilience. The former POWs and their guests wined and dined and danced the evening away in what still holds the record as the largest dinner in White House history. Exactly 50 years later, this past May of 2023, the Richard Nixon Presidential Library recreated this special evening to coincide with a weekend of reunion events dedicated to the former POWs and their families. In this special bonus content, join us for a glimpse of that weekend featuring interviews with some of the major characters in our story while they attend the 50-year reunion of their release at the library in Yorba Linda, California. In this episode, we'll hear from Sid Stockdale, son of Vice Admiral Jim Stockdale and his wife, Sybil, founder of the League of Wives, as he tells us what he remembers of that time and his parents' role in the Vietnam POW crisis. Sid's father, Jim, had the most senior rank of all the POWs, and since they retained a chain of command in captivity, Jim became the de facto leader of the hundreds of American servicemen behind bars. Here now is an interview with Sid Stockdale, recorded during the reunion event. My name is Sid Stockdale, and I'm the second of four sons of Admiral James Stockdale and Sybil Stockdale, and I am here for this 50th reunion just to see these guys once again, shake their hand and look at the exhibits. It's a fantastic opportunity to reconnect with people. Yeah. When, when did you lose your parents? My father passed away in 2005 and my mother passed away in 2015. Okay. And about 2017, when I retired from teaching, I taught for 40 years. I started doing some research into what I experienced as a young boy. I was 11 when my father was shot down going into the sixth grade, and I was 18 years old and getting ready to go off to college when he returned. So being in the household with mom and my two younger brothers, with everything that she was involved with, creating the league, having meetings there, traveling, it was a very kind of a traumatic experience to, to live through. And so I've written this book, A World Apart, Growing Up Stockdale During Vietnam. When I started writing, I didn't anticipate writing a book. I was just journaling. And during my whole life, I could not really remember very much about the first two and a half years after my father was shot down. I think I've talked to professionals and worked with professionals, and they said, no doubt you were bombarded with pretty severe trauma. And one re natural reaction is that you start to shut down. You just barrier a lot of that and so I couldn't access it as an adult I couldn't figure out or remember very much about when I was 11 or 12 besides the fact that there was a lot of confusion at school confusion wherever I went and of course it was I think a response to what I was going through so in 2016 one year after my mom passed 
I received a copy of her diary, first time I'd ever seen it. It had been buried in a bunch of papers in the attic, and when we were uncovering things, it appeared, and I started to read it, and it allowed me to put things together for the first time, so I started journaling, and that led then to more research, and pretty soon I found myself putting together what was going to be the book that sits here on the table today. So, What would you say is like the thesis of the book? What's the main point you're trying to make? The main point, this is pretty much the 40th anniversary. Next year will be the 40th anniversary of my parents' book coming out. And I wanted to revive their story in a way. Their book is very dense, very detailed. It's beautifully written. But a part of what I wanted to do is I wanted to revive it I also wanted to thank some of the people who helped me when I was in a tough spot. My grandparents, my mother's parents. I went to boarding school, finally for high school, and the, the faculty there were fantastic. And boarding school gave me a place where I could finally process what I had gone through and not have to be in in the POW experience every day, all day long. and. So it was really, a, it was a thanking, it is a book about hope, and I'm really happy that I finally have it put yeah. together. Yeah. How would you, now that we get to talk to the source, your dad has talked about a lot, right? He's yeah. one of the de facto leaders of the POWs. He was one of the higher ranking people who shot down. Yeah. Your mom did start the League of Wives. People yes. talk about your parents a lot. Right. How would you put them in? How would you describe them? <clears throat> they, they were individually incredible people. And as a couple, they were even more so. I remember when my dad came home after prison, and a lot of people ask about that. What was he like when he got home? And I was so impressed. I was 18. I was so impressed by how he was patient with every single, all four of us boys. My older brother was 22. I was 18. My brother below me was 14. And my youngest brother was 11. And he connected with us all individually. He was very, as I said, very patient. He took time to go on outings with each of us and really get to know us and connect with us. And, and the stories that he would tell about what he went through were incredible. And my mother, learning about my mother's juggling so much, I could tell when my mother was really getting ready to have some emotional breakdown problems and it was hard to watch but when you think about what she was trying to accomplish really leading the charge with the top brass in the pentagon going to senators congressmen before 1969 really pleading for them to do something about the pow situation clandestinely communicating with my father in prison a lot of people don't know that in january of 1967 she was becoming so absorbed by the POW issue that she took a teaching job. <laughs> she was teaching junior high school reading in English down next to the Mexican border in San Ysidro. So she, she was just a dynamic, energetic person who was, he, she was going to do anything that she possibly needed to do to get those guys home safely. And she accomplished it. So do you think she started anything for women in general in terms of their own empowerment, maybe even specifically military wives? having an identity of their own. Oh, very much. 
Right now, you may know that in Coronado, there's a project afoot to build a memorial, a celebratory statue that will commemorate the work of these women in the League, League of Families. And all of the people who are involved with that project are women who feel empowered by being able to create this project, the first of its kind in the country to celebrate military spouses, which seems incredible to me. I grew up in Coronado. The town of Coronado has always been run by military spouses, though. <laughs> Everything about its functioning is run by them, and I feel str so strongly that it's vital that we not only acknowledge them, but recognize what what's going on in those households, what's going on with those kids, what's going on when men are overseas and when they're deployed to far-off places doing dangerous stuff. Swept under the rug a little more 50 years ago. Very much, yep. But yeah. even so, still more work to do. Yeah, more communication. The military's done a, a very good job. They have ombudsmen that are embedded in the various squadrons and throughout the military bases, and they're the liaison for the families. That position didn't exist back in the 60s and the 70s, and it's, it's a great honor that every year there are two ombudsmen who are celebrated by receiving the Sybil Stockdale Ombudsman Award. Yeah, she's a, she is a strong woman who is remembered, and thankfully so. I have to ask you just about one funny thing. Okay, good. There's a story of a party that your mom <laughs> threw yeah. when your dad came home from the Gulf of Tonkin, I believe it was, like early on, 64. And he came home, he was on leave, and there was this crazy party. Yes. Can you tell me about that party? Yeah, I was there. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Then you can really tell us about it. Yeah, no, it was after the it was after the Tonkin Gulf. The war was going on. The squadron came back. They were getting retooled to go back over. And they were going to deploy in March of '65. And about a week before they were going to leave, Mom and Dad. Dad was the commanding officer of the squadron, and it's traditional that the commanding officer and his wife throw a party. But it, this is what I didn't expect. Mom hired a high school band. Coronado High School. They rolled up all the rugs in the living room. The band came in, they set up, they started playing this rock and roll music. Everybody started dancing and then in the middle of the event, mom pulls out a wig that was a beetle wig. This was, it was all the rage to have a beetle wig. And so these pilots who had showed up, many of them in their flight suits and just right off the airfield, we're passing around the beetle wig and dancing and just having a great time out there. It was a fun, fun evening. Have you ever been to a party that tops it since? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> I just wanted to tell one more story that I've always enjoyed. It was a memory that, that uh, still makes me laugh to this day. The election of 1968 was a very tense election for a lot of reasons. But in our household, it was extremely tense because the Nixon camp was the only political camp that had signaled to the League of Families that if elected, they were going to see to it that the men were not only recognized, that their awful treatment was acknowledged publicly, but that they were going to work hard to see to it that when a when an armistice was signed that the return of the POWs was going to be honorable and it was going to be well done. So my mom, as the election of 68 built up, she was getting, I could tell, she was getting quite agitated and she'd have louder phone calls and longer phone calls. And we, my brothers and I, were in the den watching television one evening. And I think we were watching The Monkees. It was a TV uh -huh. show at the time. Yeah. Mom's out in the kitchen and she has her wooden bowl and her Yankee chopper. 
and she used to chop lettuce in it when we had tacos. And I was in the den and I heard the chop, 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 and then the chopping proceeded to get incredibly vigorous and louder to the point when I, I went into the kitchen, I said, what is going on in here? And she said, she, was, she laughed. She said, if you have to know, I have Robert McNamara's head in this bowl, and I'm describing what I think about his policy in Vietnam. And then she burst into laughter, and I laughed too, and it was just a great moment. I wouldn't want to be on the other side of your mom's That's for sure. Thank you. I'm excited for your book, A World Apart, Growing Up Stockdale During Vietnam, Sydney Bailey Stockdale. And people can get it on Amazon or wherever. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local independent bookstores. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.